Welcome to This Week in Video Games episode 124. My name is Tom Kershaw and this is a podcast all about the world of video games. Well this week I've been checking out Resident Evil 4, a fantastic new remake from Capcom. Now, continuing the horror theme, I've also been playing Dredge, a great new indie game that blends fishing and horror. We've also had a couple of showcases this week with Nintendo's Indie World, plus also Street Fighter 6 and we had the final Tears of the Kingdom story trailer, which was an absolute blockbuster. Well, it's a busy show, so let's get to it. Oh, welcome to the show, everyone. I hope you're well and you're having a good week. Yeah, I'm good this week, and it has been an exciting week in gaming, with Nintendo showing off their latest indie games come to the platform very soon. Plus, we've had a big final trailer for Tears of the Kingdom, which is out in only a few weeks' time. And to be honest, May the 12th can't come soon enough. May is going to be a busy month of playing The Legend of Zelda. These games don't come around very often, and this one is shaping up to be bigger and better than Breath of the Wild. Well, Capcom this week also showed off their latest for Street Fighter VI, with a showcase of their own, and that is scheduled to come out in June. So there's another massive game coming out for the next couple of months. Now, if you want to try that game out for yourself, then a demo is available now on all major platforms. So check out your platform store of choice and do try out that demo. So I'll be catching you up on all the latest news from all the showcases later on in the show. Plus, I've got reviews of Resident Evil 4 Remake and also Dredge as well. But before we get into it, it'd be great if you could leave a review over on Apple Podcasts. It really helps the podcast get some more eyes on it. I do have a link in the podcast description down below. So if you like the show and you want to leave a review, I would really, really appreciate it. Plus, I'll read out that review on a future episode of the podcast. Okay, that is it for my waffly intro, but next up, let's check out what I've been playing this week. Well, this week I've been checking out Resident Evil 4 Remake, so I am not the biggest Resident Evil fan, but I think this one might have turned me on to the series, because this is a great game, and shaping up to be one of the best games of the year so far. Now, it's a year of remakes already with Dead Space and Metroid Prime, and Resident Evil 4 might be the best out of all of them. Well, I've also been playing an indie horror fishing game called Dredge. This one is eerie in the best possible way. Great art style, excellent gameplay, and really good music, and I'll bring you my review of that later on in the show. Finally, I've been playing Destiny 2, as always, although I have been playing less and less as we get through the season. So we had some big drama in the community this week, since a big content creator was banned from the game for leaking Season 21 details, and apparently has been leaking for years. But I'll get to that story later on in the podcast. First up today, let's dive into my review of Resident Evil 4 Remake. Well, after the huge success of Resident Evil 2 and 3 remakes in recent years, Resident Evil 4 Remake was a natural progression that made sense for Capcom and fans of the series. So while Resident Evil 4 is still playable these days compared to the past games, it is still a masterful remake which upgrades the game in nearly every way, making Resident Evil 4 feel like a 2023 game and one of the best that we've seen so far this year. You know, many consider the original Resident Evil 4 to be a pivotal point for the series. Capcom significantly changed the gameplay from a fixed view to over the shoulder, which managed to emphasise the action, plus also all the gory details as well. 
The game leans more into the action horror rather than just horror, and you can still see the influence of this game in some of the best games from the last 10 years, like The Last of Us and, of course, Dead Space as well. But this new Resident Evil 4, but this new Resident Evil 4 feels like a fine wine that's been distilled into something new and perhaps even better. So while the original is still playable, it doesn't really have the mod cons of today's games. For example, you couldn't move and shoot at the same time. You had to stop, get your gun out, get a few shots off, and then you could get back on the move. You know, when you've got a chainsaw-wielding, bag-wearing maniac chasing you, you certainly don't want to be stopping to shoot. You want to run as fast as you possibly can. And 2023 looks to be shaping up as a vintage year for remakes and remasters, and you can probably see this trend continuing over the next few years, because, to be honest, it's quite a good way of these companies making money. Resident Evil 4 has fixed the moving the shooting issue, and the Resident Evil 4 remake feels much more like a modern game. This allows you to move and shoot, whether that be running forward, edging backwards, or jumping out the way of falling debris. Another great quality of life improvement is switching weapons instantly with the D-pad, so rather than the clunky, cumbersome method of going into your inventory each time and switching weapons, this is a modern quality of life improvement, which, to be honest, was much needed. The controls in general feel much improved in the Resident Evil 4 remake, and the combat feels much better, more fluid and dynamic when compared to the original. There's also a range of difficulties for the different level of players, You know whether you're brand new to the series and want to experience the story on assisted mode, or you are a hardcore Resident Evil fan and want to play on hardcore. Now, the enemy AI is in a huge overhaul, much like all the other systems in the game. Enemies move in a much less predictable way, and you're going to be dealing with large numbers perfectly portrayed in the opening Chapter 1 village scene. And at first, you might stealth your way around, but soon you're going to be overwhelmed, not only by the pitchfork-wielding villagers, but then there's that scary and shocking moment when the chainsaw man breaks down the door and stops your logical exit. Enemies throw explosives at you, you know, they set clever little traps with tripwire, so it's not just the traditional zombie attacks, you know, and they are pretty nerve-tingling encounters. But another decent quality of life improvement is the save system, where you can find various typewriters around and save. So if you do want a much more authentic experience there, and it is an unlockable professional difficulty mode, which does remove that save system. Well, the AI continually impresses in the game with enemies seemingly absorbing your tactics and then appearing to come up with alternatives and also gruesome ways to kill you and fight back. So if you continue with a single tactic, you know, like taking zombies' heads off with carefully placed shots, then enemies will switch up their tactics. For example, they'll start wearing headgear to protect themselves. So that is very, very clever indeed. Villagers surprise you constantly by switching up their tactics, but also by coming back to life and attacking in much more aggressive ways. Well, the environment also plays a big part in your gameplay, given enemies can interact with you. Chainsaw Man can just as easily cut up the enemies as well as you, so it's a good idea to goad him in front of a load of enemies to get him to do your work for you. Oil lamps can be shot down, raining hot red oil on your enemies, essentially scorching them to death. In regards to the story, Resident Evil 4 Remake stays true to the original, so Leon is sent to a small Spanish town to rescue the president's daughter, Ashley, and then the narrative goes on a roller coaster journey through a series of boss battles, battling against hordes of zombies and huge set pieces in labs and minecart chases, castles, you know, whereas the final third of the original Resident Evil 4 dragged out a little bit, the remake here tightened things up nicely. 
Now, each part of the game has been improved. So the previous QuickTime event-led knife battle against Major Krauser has been vastly improved with parry gameplay mechanics. Ashley's escort mission has been improved by removing her health bar. Plus also her AI was dramatically improved as she doesn't wander off into dangerous situations. Villagers team up with each other, dodge bullets, even wear bulletproof clothing. The boss fights are scary and shocking and also very gory as well. And Capcom's graphical improvements via the RE engine makes this game much more chilling than previous iterations. As you progress through the game, there are new weapons to find and upgrade your arsenal with. There's a wandering merchant, which looks similar to a warlock, hooded and cloaked with a wide variety of weapons to sell. Early in the game, this is a lifesaver as you start out with a relatively simple pistol. So while you can pick up a shotgun early on, the rifle you get from the merchant is very valuable, allowing you to headshot enemies from a distance, plus taking them out with a single shot rather than two shots. The merchant also pays out for side quests and bounties, which are dotted about the game, which has you hunting around the environment, shooting various targets or hunting for golden eggs. The merchant pays out these things in gems. They can be traded for unique items and upgrades. Now, one of the big changes from the original is the mercenaries mode. This isn't available at launch, but it will be added as a free update sometime later in the future. Additional modes like assignment Ada and separate ways are also not available at the moment, and they may be saved for DLC later down the line. New Game Plus mode is available at launch, plus you've got a whole load of in-game challenges that unlock various upgrades and weapons. Now overall, Resident Evil 4 Remake is a huge success and a great template for how to do a remake in 2023. It keeps the essence of the original while upgrading it in nearly every way. The graphics are some of the best available on the current gen platform, the controls are massively improved, and the enemy AI constantly surprises you via an increasingly amount of gruesome ways. 2023, as I said before, is shaping up as a big year for remakes, and Resident Evil 4 leads the way as one of the best out there. Whether you're a newcomer or want to play again, I would definitely recommend playing through this one, as it is likely to feature on many Game of the Year lists at the end of 2023. Well, that is it for my review of Resident Evil 4 Remake, and I would love to hear what you think of the game. Let me know down there in the comments, or you can hit me on Twitter at TWIVGPodcast, or you can email me at podcast at thisweekinvideogames.com. So if you've played Resident Evil 4, I would love to hear from you. Well, that is it for now for Resident Evil 4 Remake, but next up, let's check out my review of Dredge. On the surface, Dredge is a game about fishing, but dive below the depths of the game and you're going to find something more. It's creepy, edge-of-the-seat stuff, and Dredge has shot close to the top of my favourite games of the year so far. Well today I'm going to talk about my review of Dredge and why I think you should check out this debut video game from developer Black Salt Games. Well in Dredge you play as a fisherman who arrives at Greater Marrow in a battered up ship. Greater Marrow is a small island in an archipelago which opens up to the vast seas. The mayor takes you in, gives you a basic ship and a rod for a loan and says to go out fishing and pay off your debts little by little. You then head out into the open seas to fish, stacking your latest catch like a game of Tetris on your boat. Now, it's a good idea to head out to sea early on in the morning, catch as much as you can, yeah, being careful not to damage your boat by those hidden rocks, before the sun goes down, because when it gets dark in this game, things start to get weird. 
It's all fairly normal at first. You head out to sea, catch a few fish, deliver some packages for the mayor, and get introduced to the shipwright in Greater Marrow, who's going to help you with your upgrades as you gather more money. That unlocks the basic game loop of Dredge, you know, sail out to sea on your little boat, catch a fish through a series of mini-game type mechanics, and then exchange your catch for money to invest back into your ship, including various upgrades like a bigger engine and a variety of fishing rods. Now, the fishing itself is relaxing and fun, so as you sail out to sea, you have to keep watch for little patches of fish, so where you can see bubbles coming up to the surface, and a series of shadows lurking beneath the water. So when you first start out, you only have the basics to catch small fish. As you progress through the game, you're going to upgrade your equipment, you're going to get nets, bigger rods, and things like that. To catch your fish, you have to cast out your line and play a simple timing game. You have to hit a button at the right time, similar to playing Tiger Woods Golf back in the day. You know, catch a fish, and then you place it on your hull, stacking up as many fish as you can. You can go for a few big fish or smaller fish, then head back to shore to convert your catch into cash. As you start to generate money, new characters show up and you can get involved in various missions like delivering packages. Make sure you talk to everyone as they do share valuable knowledge like how to survive out at sea. Now, most characters are haggard, windswept and beaten by the elements. These missions will take you to other islands which provide better upgrades for your ship. And you also start to take on more intricate jobs like picking up various valuable artefacts and more of Dredge's secrets get revealed. And they are dark secrets. Fish, stack, sleep, fix up your boat. That is the life of a fisherman in Dredge. The more money you collect, then the more money you can pump into research for new equipment like fishing poles, engines and dredging nets. There's trade-offs to be made though because this fancy new equipment takes up valuable space for when you stack fish. And smaller fish are easy to stack. But if you start putting in lots of bulky equipment, it's going to be harder to turn a profit because you're able to store less fish. They keep them for too long and they will go off, eventually deteriorating into fish goo. Nighttime is when things start to get a little weird, so eyes pop up in the fog and the shadows. Even the clock seems to develop a big eye, which, to be honest, is quite disconcerting. There's something in the water at night turning the once normal daytime fish into mutant variants, all of which are happily bought and chopped up by the fishmonger. In fact, catching rare and strange fish is a decent way to make more money, so do try to go out at night. Do be careful with the rocks, though, as they'll come out of nowhere, and that has a big impact on your ship. Now, one of the best things about Dredge is you are prompted to explore. You don't really have any waypoints on the map. You have to study the real in-game map, speak to people, follow up on clues, and investigate. It is a very meditative game. You can't quite switch off and play, though, as the game has a nasty habit of popping up a rock out of the mist or something slithering onto your boat at night. It's a quiet psychological horror that isn't in your face, but it's lurking under the surface, eyes on you, always threatening. Overall, Dredge is good fun. It's got a great art style and eerie music, and that'll keep you on your toes. I do like exploring on my little fishing boat. Fishing, selling, exploring, sleeping. The gameplay loop is quick enough, and the gameplay of catching fish, plus the sprinkled-in narrative moments, all really work well together. The game has grabbed some early attention, and in a year where loads of big games are getting the headlines, this is a smaller game worth checking out, and definitely invest some time into it. Well, the developer is Black Salt Games. It's published by Team17. It's available on Nintendo Switch, PlayStation 5, PlayStation 4, 
and Xbox One and also PC as well. And it was originally released on the 30th of March 2023. Well, that is it for now for my review of Dredge. But next up, this week Nintendo had an Indie World Showcase. So let's go and check out all the highlights from Nintendo. So big thank you to Matt Wales over at Eurogamer for this report. And Matt says, Nintendo's latest Indie World Showcase has been and gone serving up another busy breakneck rundown of indie titles heading to Switch before the end of the year. First up, we got Minico's Night Market. So the lovely-looking Minico's Night Market from Meowza Games is part narrative adventure, part social sim, all inspired by Japanese culture. It promises a mix of exploration, puzzle-solving, and village life, and also cats as well. So as players prepare for a weekly visit from the titular Night Market, now, after a long old wait, this one has finally got a release date and it's coming to Switch on the 26th of September. Next up, we got My Time at Sandrock. So the follow-up to developer Pantheon Games' well-received My Time at Porsche brings another helping of life sim action, this time shifting from the idyllic island setting of the original to a post-apocalyptic desert 300 years after most of the world's technology was destroyed. Alongside the usual farming and socialising, Sandrock features more elaborate combat for scavenging missions in ancient ruins, mini-games, and more, and expect this one on Switch this summer. Next up, we got Plate Up. So despite obvious similarities to the much-loved Overcooked, Plate Up is aiming to carve its own niche by adding a mix of roguelike progression and cooking management to its chaotic top-down, cooperative kitchen action. Essentially, after each successful completed shift, in which up to four players must work together to satisfy customer orders, Players can arrange their kitchen and apply any unlocked upgrades to improve efficiency and automation when the next shift begins. And Plate Up arrives on Nintendo Switch in October. Next up we had Quilts and Cats of Calico. This one is an adaptation of acclaimed tile-laying board game Calico. And the basic premise is that players must lay patches in order to create colour and pattern combinations that form aesthetically pleasing and important cat-attracting quilts. Local and online multiplayer for up to three friends is supported, and the game also features ranked matches against random players, weekly challenges, cat customization, and a whole load more. This one comes out to Nintendo Switch in the autumn. Next up we had Rift of the Necrodancer, so that was announced last August. Rift of the Necrodancer is a standalone rhythm game set in the same universe as the acclaimed Crypt of the Necrodancer. Rift, though, is quite a departure from its predecessor, trading top-down rhythm-based dungeon crawling for guitar hero-like lane combat, where players must battle a host of monsters with different movement patterns. So it features five characters, each with their own mini-games and storylines, and it's out later this year. Next up, we've got Animal Well. So this one is a pixel art Metroidvania from developer shared memories that sees players exploring around a surreal and dangerous labyrinth filled with secrets and animals. There's puzzles to solve, new abilities to acquire, and it's designed as a layered experience where dedicated players can uncover more elaborate puzzles and secrets, some of which might go unnoticed for years or acquire community collaboration to solve. And Animal Well is out this winter. Next up, we've got Crime O'Clock. So developer Bad Seeds Crime O'Clock is a time-traveling point-and-click style escapade in which players attempt to prevent crimes before they happen by scouring large evolving maps for clues. 
Each map represents one of five interlinked areas. The Steam Age, Atlantean Age, Information Age, Lost Age and Eon Age and resolving different cases in each through a combination of action and puzzles. And that is going to progress the story. Crime O'Clock features 40 cases to solve across time and space and comes to Switch on the 30th of June. Next up we got Tesla Grad 2, so the sequel to developer Rain Games' well-received physics-based puzzler from 2013. Tesla Grad 2 offers another blast of puzzly platform action where players in the role of the young Tesla Manson named Lumina must harness the electromagnetic power to overcome challenges and defeat mighty creatures as they explore wild, untamed land. The exceedingly lovely-looking Tesla Grad 2 launches last week on Nintendo Switch at the same time as the showcase, so it is available now, and it is joined also by the enhanced Tesla Grad Remastered. They're available to purchase separately on Switch's eShop or as a two-game bundle. Next up we've got Shadows Over Loathing, so that is a follow-up to the Asymmetrical's 2017 Wild West stick figure comedy West of Loathing, and that sends players on a knockabout open-world adventure to find their Uncle Murray. An investigation that soon takes a turn with the discovery of a shadowy plot, distinctly eldritch origins threatening to bring about the end of the world. Shadows Over Loathing also launched at the same time as the showcase, and that is available on Switch's eShop. Next up we've got Blasphemous 2, so 18 months after developer The Game Kitchen announced it was working on a sequel to its gorgeous gothic action platformer Blasphemous, first trailer has been revealed. Blasphemous 2 sees the return of its predecessor's pointy-hatted protagonist, the penitent one for more Souls-esque Metroidvania action, bolstered this time by the likes of distinctive new weapons that is coming to Switch in the summer. Well, then we had Oxenfree 2 Lost Signals, so it's been a long old wait for Oxenfree 2, but the developer Night School Studio has finally confirmed it's going to be launching on the 12th of July. This is the second supernatural adventure, and it focuses on the new protagonist, Riley Poverly, who returns to a small coastal town of Kamena to investigate a series of mysterious radio signals. There's new features, including a walkie-talkie conversation system, a strange cult attempting to open a portal between worlds, and a whole load more, and all is going to be revealed when Oxenfree 2 Lost Signals arrive on Switch in July. We then had a montage of new stuff, so Paper Trail, Chance of Senna, Brotato, Escape Academy, The Complete Edition, Five Nights at Freddy's, Security Break, Bomb Rush, Cyberfunk, and also Little Kitty Big City. And Nintendo also took a few minutes to show off some imminent DLC for a number of already released games. So for example, DLC is coming to a little to the left, and also Cult of the Lamb's free Relic of the Old Faith update arrives on the 24th of April. So that adds dozens of new items to the dungeon crawling management sim alongside relics, enemies, remix dungeons guided by new versions of the base game's four guardian bishops. Also includes new cult buildings, new followers to recruit, new unlockable quests, new permadeath, gauntlet and boss rush modes that players can play after completing the game. Well, loads of really, really good stuff there from Nintendo's Indie World Showcase. So if you like indie games, I hope there's something in there for you. Well, that is it for the moment for Nintendo's Indie World Showcase. Next up, let's have a look at the all-platform charts. Well, at number 10 is New Super Mario Bros. U Deluxe. And at number 9 is Minecraft. And number 8 is Call of Duty Modern Warfare 2. And at number 7 is Gran Turismo 7. At number 6 is God of War Ragnarok. And at number 5 it's Super Mario Odyssey. And number 4 is Hogwarts Legacy. That one is stubbornly staying in the top 10. And at number 3 is Resident Evil 4. 
Shooting back up the charts, it's Mario Kart 8 Deluxe. And then back in at number one, it is FIFA 23. Well, Super Mario Brothers movie definitely... Well, the Super Mario Brothers movie, I think, is definitely influencing the top ten here. We have three Super Mario titles in the top ten. New Super Mario Brothers U, that is at ten. Super Mario Odyssey, that is at five. And Super... And also Mario Kart 8 Deluxe, that is at number two. Although, to be honest, Mario Kart 8 Deluxe, I think, has been in the top ten for about four years. Well, that is it for now for the all-platform charts. But next up, let's check out the Street Fighter VI Showcase. Well, first of all, we had the DLC characters revealed. I've got a little report here from Brian Shea from Game Informer. So much like its predecessor, Street Fighter VI will have an ambitious post-release content plan, so while we knew there would be downloadable content, we now have a much better idea about the cadence with which these new characters will arrive. So a big part of Street Fighter's charm is the cast of characters from around the world that appear in the game. Executive producer Shohei Matsuda said during today's Street Fighter VI Showcase livestream, We believe that Street Fighter is where players can take control of unique characters with their own awesome fighting styles for the players, and for us as well. The appeal of the characters themselves is one of the most important elements of the series. With Street Fighter VI, we're continuing development to deliver new characters to you every year. So during year one, which kicks off when the game launches, we're going to receive four new characters to the Street Fighter VI roster. Rashid, AKI, Ed and Akuma are the characters who are going to be made available during the first year of content. Rashid, who debuted in the base version of Street Fighter V, arrives in summer 2023. AKI, an all-new character, is going to arrive in fall 2023. Ed, who debuted in Street Fighter IV but was first playable in Street Fighter V, arrives in the early parts of 2024. And Akuma, the great demon who first appeared in Street Fighter II Turbo, joins Street Fighter VI in spring 2024. These characters also appear in World Tour, the single-player RPG-inspired story mode giving players some insight into their backgrounds. Well, next up, we've got some details about World Tour, and this one comes from Marcus Stewart at Game Informer. So one of the most exciting and mysterious elements of Street Fighter VI has been the World Tour mode, a single-player open-world exploration mode that Capcom previously only showed glimpses of. Well, thankfully, today's Street Fighter VI showcase pulled back the curtain on what World Tour entails, and it looks delightfully bonkers. Well, World Tour begins with players creating a custom fighter that serves as the mode's protagonist. Upon creating your avatar, which can be viewed outside of World Tour in the online battle hub, you dropped into Metro City from the Final Fight series, one of the World Tour's many explorable hubs. Other destinations include Asian City, Neishal. As a fledgling fighter, you'll embark on a quest to become a world warrior. You'll accomplish this, completing quests while running around and picking fights with citizens who all happen to be martial artists. You're also going to get jumped on by silly enemies ranging from thugs with boxes on their heads to literal refrigerators, depending on what city you are in. Gameplay transitions seamlessly from exploration to 1v1 bouts, and some battles even offer specific objectives to earn extra rewards, such as performing certain moves. Additionally, using special abilities called Drive Stall lets you bring time to a crawl and escape pursuing enemies or get the jump on them before initiating a battle. A world map lets you travel between multiple cities across the globe and each one boasts familiar and unexpected faces. 
You become students to legendary fighters, which consist of all 18 launch fighters such as Chung Li, allows you to adopt their fighting style in combat and acquire special signature moves used for exploration. For example, you can learn Ryu and Ken's Hurricane Kick, which can let you soar over gaps while platforming. My goodness me, that sounds strange. And the more you train with a legendary master, the stronger your bond with them becomes, and raising bonds unlocks new missions, as well as story content for that master. Bringing them gifts also raises their affinity to you. Well, you can purchase gifts and other items by visiting the in-game merchants. And additionally, you can buy food that restores health or grants temporary stats and buffs and debuffs in and out of fights. You know, winning fights awards XP as well as skill points used to unlock permanent stat boosts from a skill tree as well as special traversal abilities. Additionally, a bevy of main and side missions as well as the options can be selected and managed on smartphone-like devices. You know, World Tour looks as robust as it does absurd, and that is in a good way. We're excited to get our hands on it, and thankfully a demo lets players take an abbreviated stroll through these dangerous streets. We're talking about that demo. The demo is available. That is already live on the PlayStation 4 and PlayStation 5, and it becomes available on Xbox Series S and X and PC on April the 26th. The slice of the game includes letting players into a portion of the World Tour, and also various modes in Fighting Ground, you can create a custom avatar that can be transferred into the main game when it launches. And Street Fighter 6 is coming on June the 2nd, 2023. Well, that is it for now for Street Fighter 6. Really, really excited about that one. I was a massive Street Fighter 2 fan back in the day, and I really can't wait for Street Fighter 6. I've got into that beta earlier on in the year. I've got the demo, got my hands on it. It plays really, really good, and I can't wait to get my hands on the full game. Well, that is it for Street Fighter VI, but next up, let's check out that final trailer from The Legend of Zelda, Tears of the Kingdom. Nintendo just revealed the final trailer for Tears of the Kingdom, and it was jam-packed full of details, so we got a load of things confirmed, like Ganondorf is the corpse under Hyrule Castle, and Princess Zelda is still alive, but she appears to be lost. We fight alongside the descendants of champions, plus we got a whole load of new information to take in. Well, today I want to dive into the details and check out the key takeaways of this blockbuster trailer for Tears of the Kingdom. Okay, let's dive into the trailer details. So first of all, Ganondorf is confirmed, and we suspected this all along, but the corpse under Hyrule Castle has been confirmed as Ganondorf. He says something along the lines of, do not look away, you witness a king's revival and the birth of his new world. So there is an interesting thing here though, is Ganondorf referring to himself as the king, or is he talking about someone else? So we see this shot of malice tendrils that look like hair, and rather than Ganondorf, could that be Demise? So whether Demise and Ganondorf can exist in the same game is questionable, but that shot behind the character there with flowing red malice-like hair certainly look like it could be Demise. Or another explanation is it could just be the Malice reforming Ganondorf. Now we did see another shot of Link getting attacked by the Malice, seeing the Malice wrap around the Master Sword, which must corrode and half destroy that legendary blade. Okay, next up, very exciting stuff. Link doesn't fight alone, so it appears as if Link has companions that will fight alongside him. So we saw Link and Sidon fighting side by side, Plus, we also saw Link flying with a Rito. It also looks like Riju is there from the Gerudo tribe. And also, Link is standing with a ragtag bunch of characters. 
and one seems to have a bucket on his head ready for the final battle against Ganondorf. Now, I don't think this means multiplayer, but it appears as if Link is going to have some backup when he goes into battle. Well, next up, we got confirmation of huge underground caves. So we had a quick look at some small caves in the gameplay trailer reveal. But in this final trailer, we see a few shots here of massive cave structures underground. First of all, Link is seen to be running in a big underground structure. He's got new armor. Then we see Link battling against what looks to be a Zonai construct while he's riding a mining cart with lava all around him. So we had a sneaky suspicion that the underground would be important in Tears of the Kingdom, but these caves look like they are absolutely huge. Well, next up, very interesting detail. It looks like enemies can build structures as well. So we saw Link riding on the back of a crazy looking vehicle. It looked like a tank, to be honest, with wheels on the bottom, then a large rectangular structure unlike anything that we've seen so far in any other trailer. We've seen fairly simple cars and flying machines, but this was above and beyond anything that we've seen so far. Not only that, but coming towards Link looked like it was a Bokoblin riding on the back of a structure that the Bokoblins must have made themselves. So we knew that Link's Ultra Hand ability would allow him to build structures, but does this demonstrate the potential of enemies building as well? Well, to be honest, that absolutely blows my mind. Well, next up, we've got new gameplay elements. There's so much packed in this trailer, but there was a few interesting details that we can pull out. So Link rewinds an explosive projectile, sending it back at an enemy. I know we've seen that recall ability so far, but here, Link is using that ability in battle. Very, very cool stuff. Link also uses a rocket to get into the air. Link appears to be able to get different attachments on his left arm. So we've seen him use a flamethrower before. We believe that is a Zonai weapon. But now we are seeing him use a rocket-powered item to raise him high into the sky. So IGL Numa did say in the gameplay trailer there were plenty of ways to get up to the sky. So perhaps we're simply going to be able to fly assisted by rockets to get up to those sky islands. We also see Link jumping into a water bubble. And this looks like it's a puzzle of some kind, but platforming almost straight out of a Super Mario game. Also, jumping when very high in the sky seems like you're jumping in space, and maybe when you get high in the sky, the gravity is much reduced, and it looks like Link's jumping was very different to the original Breath of the Wild. Much slower, a little bit floaty, so that was a really interesting detail. Well, finally today, I want to talk about Princess Zelda. So Zelda is not dead, but it appears as if she is lost. So we got confirmation that Princess Zelda isn't dead, so we see Link grasping for her, desperately trying to save her, and he can't. She slips through his fingers. However, she did not die from that accident, but appears to have travelled to another place somehow. Now, first time we see Princess Zelda in the trailer, we see her standing in front of an altar when a voice says to her, We rely on your knight and that legendary sword that he carries. Our last line of defence will be Link. Well, who exactly is Princess Zelda speaking to? I presume this is a member of the Zonai tribe, and somehow Princess Zelda has found her way to where the Zonai escaped to. You know, later in the trailer, we see Princess Zelda with shorter hair, dressed in Zonai-style clothing. And she says, I know why I'm here. It's something only I can do, whilst looking down at what appears to be a tear in her hand. It's likely the Tears of the Kingdom are physical objects that we need to collect, and Princess Zelda happens to have one plus Hyrule probably thinks she's dead 
and that could lead to tears of a different kind. So this last point is very, very interesting indeed. We also see a brief shot of another character who looks very, very similar to Princess Zelda. Coming out of her right hand appears to be the green Zonai magic, and she's wearing that tear around her neck, similar to the tear that Princess Zelda was holding in her hands. This character has longer ears than Princess Zelda, but it feels like they are very similar, and perhaps this is the character from the mural that we saw in the title reveal trailer. So maybe Princess Zelda and this new character are one and the same, or perhaps they are related. And at the end of the trailer, we hear Princess Zelda say, Link, you must find me. So we didn't get confirmation that Princess Zelda was playable, but it is interesting that she's lost. And I really can't wait to find out exactly where she is. And we've got less than a month to wait until we find out. Okay, those are the main points that I pulled out of the trailer for now. I'm sure there is plenty that I've missed. So let me know in the comments what you think. Plus also let me know the details that you spotted and I missed and we can get the discussion going. Now I don't know about you, but this was a 10 out of 10 trailer for me, totally living up to the hype. Well, that is it for the moment for Street Fighter 6. But next up, let's check out that final trailer for The Lend of Zelda Tears of the Kingdom. Well, that is it for now for Tears of the Kingdom. Really can't wait until the 12th of May. That is going to be absolutely excellent. Breath of the Wild, one of my favourite games of all time. And this one is shaping up to be even better. Well, that is it for the moment for Tears of the Kingdom. But next up, let's check out the latest goings on in Destiny 2. Well, there's been some drama in the Destiny 2 community this week with Bungie responding to Season 21 leaks. They've gone ahead and banned a high-profile content creator, one that's been going to creator summits at Bungie for years. Well, today I'm going to dig into that news a little bit further and have a look at both sides of the case. Well, Season 21 isn't far away and it's scheduled to kick off at the end of May 2023, but a large amount of details have been leaking for weeks prior to launch, so there's plenty of changes coming to the game, plus new content as we build up to the final shape expansion next year. Now, Bungie hasn't named that creator publicly, but according to reports they have confronted that creator directly, who happens to be a well-known member of the Destiny 2 community, one who's helped thousands of players through GMs, among other endgame content. Well, according to Bungie, this creator was recently invited to a creator summit to get an early play session with Season 21 content plus a chance for feedback. After the summit, the content creator reportedly leaked the information about the season, including some fundamental changes with Destiny 2 systems and big story spoilers. You know, this is a major breach of trust and could have implications for the wider Destiny 2 community, with Bungie potentially considering changing the way they hold these events. Well, community interaction and engagement is central to Bungie and our games, Bungie said. For years, we've invited creators and other members of the community to confidential summits to provide feedback on the future of Destiny. This is a beloved part of the process, but it relies heavily on trust. Breaches of this trust could result in our inability to hold more summits. We take these breaches extremely seriously and have taken actions to reinforce our policies with those invited to these internal meetings. Well, the content creator in question is Ikugan. So just before Bungie released their statements, he posted on Twitter saying, 
It was a great run indeed, much love, with an image detailing about how many GMs he completed with the community. After Bungie posted their statement on Twitter, he said, I did not leak anything, and followed that up with, all I know is, the company made a huge mistake and I will clear my name, I'm working on it. Then saying he'd been banned from the game. Well, EK also did an interview with Forbes saying he did attend the summit and he had been banned and that Bungie wouldn't be taking legal action for breaking NDA. EK said Bungie's evidence is focused around screenshots of his desktop, although Bungie has since come out saying they have irrefutable evidence. And Bungie also confirmed they believe the leaks occurred over multiple years and weren't isolated with this one summit. Our security and legal teams have reviewed irrefutable evidence, including video recordings, verified messages and images demonstrating a pattern over time that confirmed the same individual shared confidential information from community summits spanning multiple years, Bungie said in a tweet. We are very disappointed to have learned this information and wish that things had gone differently with this person. We do not take these actions lightly and we are confident in our decision. That's pretty definitive stuff there from Bungie. So Bungie's response seems reasonable given the massive break of trust that has occurred. But there is something about this story that doesn't really add up. That's the motivation behind EK leaking in the first place. Normally someone might leak something to gain followers or internet clout in general. But EK was someone with 14,000 hours in the game. And a man who'd modelled his career around the service of taking fans through Grandmaster Nightfalls and other endgame content. You know, why would he do this? EK now faces the prospect of having to rebuild his gaming career with other games, forever tainted by that leaker label, unless he is able to clear his name. This is clearly going to be tough with Bungie's statements saying they have irrefutable evidence and are unlikely to share that in a public domain. You know, plenty of streamers have come out in support of EK or have, or have at least expressed shock that he'd even do something like this. You know, there is the possibility that he's been set up. The leaked photos were originally on his phone or his computer, but perhaps they had been stolen or maybe shared with the wrong people and EK is getting the blame. You know, one potential issue could be the digital events or how these summits take place. Pre-pandemic, Bungie would fly content creators out to Seattle and see them face to face. Nowadays, they're all done online and that opens up the opportunity for a bad actor to intercept the broadcast and potentially leak it, making it look like it came from someone else's computer. You know, I haven't been to these events and I would imagine there is tight security involved However, whenever you have something online, we have other hardware involved that isn't under the same level of control that you'd have at Bungie Studio, then there is going to be a risk. Well, it's pretty much a lose-lose situation for everybody at this point. Leaks get out there, which spoil the game for everyone who read them. A content creator has been banned from the game, which help him rise to fame and also provide his living. And Bungie are less likely to hold events or at least change these creator summits that's going to impact the Destiny 2 community and also the quality of the game, given these feedback sessions are pretty valuable for the development process. Well, that's it for this look at the moment for Bungie banning a leaker. But next up, let's have a look at the games coming out in the next few weeks. Okay, first of all, April the 25th, we've got After Image, that's PS5, Xbox Series S and X, PS4, Xbox One, Switch and PC. We've got Strayed Lights, so PS5, Xbox Series S and X, PS4, Xbox One, Switch and PC. We've got Desta, the Memories Between, that is Switch and PC, that is on the 26th of April. Then on the 27th, we've got Bramble, the Mountain King, PS5, Xbox Series S and X, PS4, Xbox One, 
Switch and PC. We've got Kizuna AI Touch the Beat. That's PS4, Switch, PlayStation VR and PC. And we've got Lego Brick Tales iOS and Android. That is also on the 27th. We've got Live Alive coming to PlayStation 5, PlayStation 4 and PC. That's also on the 27th. And Omega Strikers coming to Nintendo Switch. The last case of Benedict Fox that is coming to the Xbox Series S and X, Xbox One and PC. And then on the 28th, we've got Monster Hunter Rise Sunbreak coming to PlayStation 5, Xbox Series S and X, PlayStation 4 and Xbox One. Then we've got Star Wars Jedi Survivor. That is the big one coming out on April the 28th. PlayStation 5, Xbox Series S and X and PC. We've got Age of Wonders 4. That is PS5, Xbox Series S and X, PC. That is on May the 2nd. Also on May the 2nd, we've got Redfall. That is Xbox Series S and X and PC. Then on May the 3rd, Super Dungeon Maker, Switch and PC. On the 4th, we've got Ravenlock. That is Xbox Series S and X, Xbox One and PC. Then on the 5th of May, we've got Death or Treat. That is PS5, Xbox Series S and X and PC. Well, that is about it for this week's episode. And if you want to get involved in the show in the future, contact me on podcast at thisweekinvideogames.com or on Twitter at TWIVGpodcast, or on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash thisweekinvideogames. It would be great to hear from you wherever you are contacting from. Well, thank you so much for watching or for listening. And if you enjoyed this podcast or found it useful, liking and sharing it would really, really help me out. Otherwise, you can check out the other podcasts on the feed. Well, thanks again. I'll see you soon.